Welcome to Doxology Matters. I'm your host, Keith McMinn, right here at Bethel Baptist Church in Yorktown, Virginia. We're so glad that you have joined us for this episode where we seek to help you think deeply about God's Word as you praise Him. And we've been enjoying our first couple episodes back this fall, and one of the series that we're doing is on God's attributes, theology proper, if you will. And you'll be hearing some other uh, episodes coming down the the pike, so to speak, on uh, spiritual disciplines and soul care. So watch out for those. Thank you for all you faithful subscribers that listen and let us know that this ministry is making a difference in your life. Well, today's topic is omnipotence. Omnipotence, the omnipotence of God. And Jeff Minky, pastor at Catalyst Church, great church here uh, on the peninsula, is our guest. So, uh, Jeff, it's great to have you. Keith, thanks so much. Yeah. Great to have you. So define omnipotence for us, brother. So omnipotence has to do with God's power. And the word omnipotence refers to the fact that God has all power. So Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, summarizes it with that simple phrase, having all power. So when we talk about God's omnipotence, it's not that he can do some of the things or uh, a few things. It's that he can do all things. He has all power. Is there anything that he can't do? Sure. Well, God can't contradict himself, so he cannot lie because he's truthful. He he cannot um, break his commandments. He he cannot be deceitful. Um, So ability, as we think about God's ability, that that doesn't necessarily equal um, power to do. Sometimes ability means power not to do. Hmm. So do I have the ability not to sin? Well, God does. So can are there certain things God cannot do? Yes, he cannot sin. He cannot contradict his character. He cannot lie. He cannot uh, cheat. What's the relationship, would you say, between sovereignty and omnipotence? The relationship between uh, sovereignty and omnipotence. Well, omnipotence uh, requires independence. So you've got, if you've got... Um, if you've got sovereignty, meaning God's rule, his reign over uh, all things, Psalm 115, he does all that he pleases. He rules over his creation with a mighty hand. Well, that requires omnipotence, right? It, it requires that he's not dependent on anybody else, but that he is able uh, in and of himself to do that which he is intended to do. So sovereignty, God's rule and his reign, God's omnipotence, his ability to do that without dependency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does he ever have to replenish that? He doesn't, no, which is sometimes uh, theologians will refer to the aseity of God. And we did, a, 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 we talked about the aseity of God, I think, uh, a while back, but uh, that is his self-existence. Yep, he, he never has to tap into a greater power. He, he's, he doesn't need to take a nap <laughs> the way you and I and our listeners do. Yeah, his green... Battery, so to speak, like an iPhone, never dims. Right, not not at all. It's it's self replenishing. Um, although that doesn't that 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 falls apart because to be self replenishing would mean you d- diminish. Right. He, do, he doesn't need replenishing at all. Yeah. So um, if he needed to be replenished, that would mean that there was some being outside of God in the universe that would have to replenish him and then he wouldn't be God right or, or, or it would mean that he had some lack he had some lack yeah right. and he doesn't has no lack yeah praise be to God for that 
So what would some of the implications be of God not being all-powerful? How would we feel those realities? Well, immediately out of the gate, if God were not all-powerful, we would think, well, then he is not worthy of our praise. He's, he's, he's not God. He is not worthy of our praise. So often we read of the doxologies in Scripture where they're praising God for, among other things, his power, his mightiness, his almighty nature. Um, so if he were not uh, all-powerful, he would, he would not be worthy. Our, our prayers would become well wishes, right, and nothing more than well wishes. Well, gosh, I hope uh, that this happens. No, when we pray, we're praying to an almighty God who has the power to do something. So if he weren't powerful, why would we Why would we worship him? Because he's not worthy. Why would we pray to him? Because he may or may not be able to do anything. Um, the sad reality, I think, is that if God were not all-powerful, he would essentially become the little G God that we already treat him like he is. I think many of us approach the almighty capital G God as though he were not almighty and a lowercase g, sort of a genie in the bottle, but he's so much more. Yeah, sometimes you can hear that in people's prayers. You can. You can hear it in prayers. You can, um, yeah, you can You can hear it in complaints. Uh, you can hear it in a lot of things. Yeah, you can hear it in complaints. I pray that the Lord would give me bright and bold faith in yeah. him. Yeah, uh, To trust him in his omnipotence is all-powerful. Yeah. Years ago, I was preaching through uh, the book of Revelation, and uh, uh, I just took a post-it note and stuck it there in the book of Revelation that simply says, um, I pray that God would shatter small views of Christ, that he would shatter small views of Christ. I was in Revelation 14, 14 and 15, and uh, I, think, I think that's part of when we come on a Sunday morning to corporate worship, that's one of our prayers. God, shatter small views of you and of Christ, your son, and of your spirit. Let me remember that you are God and I am not, and that's good news. That's what I was wondering is how can we shatter it more and rekindle our uh, view and worship of God in this all-powerful nature? Yeah, well, I think, I think a major part of that is his word. Open up his word. Let the word do the work. Let the word remind you that, that God is God and you are not. Um, I think when we're honest with ourselves and we look in the mirror, uh, we know we're not God, right? But we fail to turn to the true God. We turn every other place. Um, we see our brokenness and we turn to a thousand places other than God. But, but Scripture reminds us, no, 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 there's one God that can satisfy. I remember in that Tozer book, in the self-sufficiency chapter, he talks about man would like to take God off the throne and put himself up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're phenomenal placeholders. Yeah. And— uh, uh, and, and God is not interested in sharing the throne, uh, sharing his glory with another. He, he's not interested in, in uh, cohabitation on the throne. There's only room for one. How would you uh, draw, other than the captain, obvious, like the commercial, <laughs> questions, or not questions, but how would you draw comparisons to man and God and power? Hmm. I think we think we have power, and God truly has power. So one comparison uh, I would say is is uh, we are we're like the kid running around with the doctor's outfit on Halloween. We're playing dress up, 
as though we had power. That's a good illustration. Now we don't have power. We we're we're just pretending. Um, when we look at God, God has power. God's the real thing. Uh, so I think that's one comparison. We're just pretending God uh, really has power. I think when God puts us in positions of power, we often use them for ill, and God always uses them for good. Mm, selfish gain. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The previous, the first one you mentioned makes me think of people that try to control things. Like control is just an illusion. It, it is. Yeah. It is. Yep. And it, and it's a form of idolatry. Yeah. You know, I want to trust myself. I want to uh, worship myself. I want to believe that I can handle these things um, instead of remembering just how needy I am. Would you say uh, any current theological uh, views that are prevalent in evangelical life or in the church or just um, average church member maybe struggling with it that are some wrong views of uh, God's power that we see? Like, think of the open theist view that was uh, came on the stage mm, sometime when I was in college, maybe in the early 2000s, that, you know, held that God just spins up the universe and slings it out and lets it go and he doesn't do anything to it. That's or he he's disconnected uh, to it. Well, right. we know that's a wrong biblical view. Right, absolutely. God is intri- intricately involved in the affairs of this world, um, and I think uh, suffering is one of those things that shatters open theism. Right, there are very few sufferers that hold to open theism because when we suffer, we either trust God or we curse Him. But we do not believe that He's disengaged. <laughs> that's very true. Right, so. Um, uh, so yeah, open theism would certainly be one. Uh, I think fatalism, maybe on the the other side of the coin of, well, if God's all powerful, then I guess I should blame him for everything and, and just, I shouldn't try anything. Well, no, because if that, if we took that view, we wouldn't be recording this podcast. We'd say, well, God, God's all powerful. He's got the whole thing rigged and, you know. Uh, no, you wouldn't share the gospel with anybody. No, you, you wouldn't pray for any. It, so, so fatalism, I think, is a wrong view of God's power. Um, so you've got open theism on the one hand. God's just disconnected, really not involved. You've got fatalism, which is God is, uh, we're just robots. Um, uh, and there are probably a number of other um, wrong views of God's power. Do you think fatalism and hyper-Calvinism has a, a connection point? I, mean, I wonder which one came first, which thought? Chicken or the egg? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know which came first. I'm, I'm not overly familiar with the history of hyper-Calvinism. The, the, the idea that if the tenets of Calvinism are true, then it leads us to what they call hyper-Calvinism. We don't share the gospel with anybody uh, the famous story is that a, a, a man told the missionary, William Carey, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll do so without you. Implying you should not go to the mission field. Well, that's just unbiblical. Right, because how will they hear unless the preacher tells them? Right. The gospel right. is an articulated gospel. Yep, yep. Romans 10, Matthew 28. God's power does not negate our obedience. It fuels it. Yes. Uh, on on you know, on the contrary, it fuels it. Uh, because God is all-powerful, I gladly lay down my life for him. I obey him in all things. Yeah, I don't hold to fatalism. I think it's an unbiblical view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's it's unbiblical. It's, it's un, I think, unhealthy. Um, absolutely, 
I think there's a vibrancy in Scripture that fatalism just misses. I think when we sing songs in, in corporate worship about God's power, people, the church is encouraged. Their faith is encouraged. Yeah. Because they're, they're going through their week, their day, and they're having bright days and sad days and questions and trials. And when they think about God's power, it reminds them, He is God and I am not. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a stark reminder that um, I have treated the all-powerful and the almighty as peripheral, right? And, and, and God, who should be at the center, I've pushed to the edges. No, 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 no. I'm not all-powerful. He is. Let's Let's— flip things. Sometimes we'll ask the question in some pastoral conversations. I'll hear uh, the question, you know, how do, how do I know God's will for my life? And um, to a degree, that's a, that can be a question of power. That's, it's really, it's the wrong question. Let's flip it around. How can I figure out how my life fits into God's will? Because that reminds me, God's at the center, not me. God's will for my life is a self-centered question if I'm not careful with it. Um, Rather, let me look at the Bible. What is God doing in the world? How does my life fit into that mission? Any worship songs come to mind that you think of? That's a that, that's a great question. All of them, <laughs> uh, perhaps it's it's I you know most of the songs I can think of we sing about God's God's power yeah. or they're they're predicated on God's power. So I think of a song we sing, "Saved My Soul." Uh, you, O oh God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. Well, that's. That's assuming God has the ability and the power to save, and he does. Um, I think of the, the song, In Tenderness. Uh, we sing, In Tenderness He Sought Me. Um, well, that's predicated on his ability not just to seek me in tenderness, but to find me and save me in power. Um, so songs like uh, Behold Our God, songs that speak of the throne, before the throne of God above, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, probably one of the chief ones that just remind us, okay, God is all-powerful, and that has massive implications. Yeah, that Behold Our God by Sovereign Grace is fantastic. Uh, who has held creation in his hand? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's such a wonderful text, wonderful song, Ministry of Sovereign Grace. Any books you might recommend on this uh, topic? So I think, I think Tozer's chapter is helpful here in Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, some other reading, uh, Packer's Knowing God, G.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, talks about knowing the omnipotence and the power and the ability of God. Um, I'm a big fan of um, John Piper's book, uh, The Pleasures of God which talks about, okay, where in the Bible it talks a few times about what pleases God and his pleasures, and um, but it also talks not just about God's pleasures as in what he wants, but his ability to fulfill what he wants, which is a, a good reminder. Yesterday I was looking for a book on my shelf, and I thought about the pleasures of God. I looked down and saw all my Piper books in one area, and I thought, I got to read that book. It's, it's a great it's book. It's been on my list. I, I think it's I think it's one of his best. Uh, just a reminder of the the goodness and the power of God. Yeah. But I think all almost any book that reminds you that God is God and you are not is it's at least pointing you in the right direction. You know, to a degree. A lot of caveats there. Uh, but that's a that's a helpful reminder. 
Have you thought about, as I know you're a very well-read guy, like as you think about reading, reading and learning and growing in your faith, think about the how much of a certain area of books that you read, like how much reading breadth or bandwidth do you spend on the attributes of God or church history or missions or uh, the life of the church, like how much should we give to reading about the nature and character of God? Well, I, I do think about it sometimes, and I'm more aware of my shortcomings than my successes, like like many people probably. Um, and I think theology proper and stu- studying the attributes and the person and the work of God is a good place to start. Start there and then let everything else support that. So I read a lot about, uh, just finished a book on leadership, another one on military leadership, um, reading a, a couple of books right now on um, everything from um, uh, Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle, old Puritan book, uh, to um, a book that on pornography that Ray Ortland just, just uh, wrote about living no, no, nobly. Um, but I always want those books and other books to support my reading of the word and my knowledge of God. Um, R.C. Sproul has a helpful quote in which he says in, in what he calls the classical curriculum, theology was the queen and all other sciences her handmaidens. In the modern curriculum, uh, the the handmaidens have taken the throne and the queen has been relegated to the periphery. To me, that's a helpful image. Am I surrounding myself in my reading with books that help me know God? And uh, am I treating peripheral things as peripheral? And am I keeping the knowledge of God at the center? I think God has used R.C. Sproul's ministry to further the thinking on theology proper. Absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. 100%. Yeah, if you're not familiar uh, with R.C. Sproul, his ministry is called Ligonier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's .org or .com. And he recently passed, maybe three a couple years ago. Three years ago. And I just came across one of his uh, teaching video series and watched it. And I thought, oh, I wish I would have engaged with him more when he was alive. But mm. then I can give thanks that he has so many books and so many you know, audio files and video files that I can still gain from him. Absolutely. His book, The, um, the, the Holiness of God, would also be a helpful resource to know the, the omnipotence of God. Mm. Oh, awesome. Any other thing you might say on God's omnipotence? Well, I think God's omnipotence, his power, is, is a helpful doctrine. It's a doctrine that we do well to meditate on. It lifts our heads when we're suffering, it, it, it calms some of our anxieties, and, and in a world right now that is in many ways fueled by uncertainty and anxiety and grief and anger, it's good to remember that God is all-powerful. And uh, to, to take our eyes off of this uh, world, and as Tozer uh, quotes the Apostle Paul, to set our minds on things above. So I can think of uh, years ago, I was getting ready to preach on um, a Sunday morning here at Bethel, and I was just as nervous as I could be. And uh, the Lord grabbed the phrase from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I just grabbed that phrase 
all authority. Just those two words. And I memorized them and meditated on them. And so the whole opening set, uh, worship time, I was just repeating those words to myself. All authority, all authority. I'm nervous. I'm getting ready to get up in front of these people. What if, what if something goes haywire? Nope. All authority is in Jesus' hand. What if I say something wrong? All authority is in Jesus' hand. And it just brought a comfort to my soul in that moment. So I don't think this is a doctrine that is relegated to theory or uh, philosophical conversations. This is a very real help in time of trouble, help in time of need doctrine. I appreciate you sharing that personal testimony. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's one other uh, time which God's power has been particularly helpful for us is when Carter was born, he was in and out of the hospital a lot for the first few uh, weeks. And there was at one point, I I just wrote on a little piece of paper, God, what in the world? Question mark. I just didn't have any, what are you doing? But remembering that God, remembering his goodness and his power were a comfort to me. So as I, I look at the cross, I know that God is good. I I know that God cares for me. He proved at the cross that he cares. So I can never accuse him of not caring again. He's proven he cares. And in the resurrection, the empty tomb, he proves that he is able. He proves his power, which means I never have to ask the question, are you able again? He's proven that he cares, and he's proven that he's able. Yeah, good word. He is. Well, that's awesome, brother. And thank you for those encouraging words. And we're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode um, on God's omnipotence. And you can subscribe uh, to Doxology Matters on Spotify or if you're on Google. We've got it all on digital platforms that we can possibly get it on. So just uh, search for Doxology Matters, blue background with the words Doxology Matters. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a note. Uh, You can shoot me an email, kmcmin, K-M-C-M-I-N-N at bbcyorktown.org or doxology at bbcyorktown.org and and let us know uh, how you're resonating, interacting, any questions that you have. Lord bless you and thanks for listening.